All right, give it up for Christmas, huh? It's just around the corner. It's amazing. Well, hello, City First. I want to take a moment, and I want to welcome all of you that are joining us online right now. Come on, give it up for everyone online, and also at Cape Coral, God Behind Bars. And if you're right here at our Spring Creek and also our state line locations that are joining together, I want to just say Merry Christmas, and thank you for being here today. You know, last week I said this, and I want to say it again, because Christmas is just around the corner, and if there's ever a year that we need Christmas, it is this year in 2020. Can I get a big amen on that one, right? I mean, Christmas is a season where there's a focus on love and joy and peace and hope that can only come from Jesus. And all of those things we really do need in spades this year because it has been a weird and a wonky year for sure. And so we're in this series called Hope is Here. We uh, specifically named it that on purpose. And we are talking about the fact that hope can be ours even in a year like this, or no matter what you're going through in any year, that hope is here. And we have a theme verse that we're reading every week. And it's actually a quote from the angel that visited the shepherds that night that Jesus was born outside of Bethlehem. And this is what the angel said to them. And this is what I would say God would say to us. All right. This is not just a message or a promise for 2000 years ago. It's for those of us right here in 2020. The angel said, do not be afraid right there. We could stop and call it a day because there's a lot of fear in our world. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. In other words, don't be afraid because God has not abandoned you, all right? Secondly, it's good news that Jesus came to our rescue. That's really what Christmas is all about, and that this gives us a joy a joy that is more powerful than any of our circumstances, even when our circumstances are difficult. And lastly, an opportunity that Jesus is for everyone. It is for all people, not just certain people. This promise and this message of hope is for all people. Now, I realize it's uh, only December, but I have a confession to make, and that is this. I'm already looking forward to baseball. Now, I realize some of you are like going, wait a minute, it's December and baseball doesn't happen until spring. I know the reason why I'm looking forward to baseball is because as a Bears fan, our Bears are horrible this year. I'm just getting past that and trying to go on to God's favorite baseball team, the Chicago Cubs, all right? So anyway, I'm already focusing on the boys of summer. And in 2003, it's kind of a funny story, um, back when I was a youth pastor here, and I had a good friend that was also on staff for me, uh, with me. His name is Sean Johnson, and he's actually now a senior pastor out at Red Rocks Church in Denver, Colorado. We, we worked together, and we were trying to be kind of like creative because the church in whole was in this thing called 40 Days of Purpose. And we were watching these videos from a pastor named Rick Warren, but he was wearing like a Hawaiian shirt every single week, you know, the videos. And it wasn't going over real well with the youth. So I had asked permission from the senior your pastor at the time and said, hey, can Sean and I go and we want to film our own 40 days of purpose videos. We're going to make them kind of more uh, applicable to youth. And so we had this, this harebrained idea. 
we thought, you know what we do? We're going to go downtown Chicago to Wrigleyville. Now, Wrigleyville is the area that surrounds the friendly confines of Wrigley, the stadium. And, and so we were going to go there, and it was during the playoffs, and we were playing the Marlins. So for those of you from Florida, we were playing the Marlins, all right? And it was basically whoever won this series was going to the World Series. And uh, for those of you that know anything about the Cubs, we had quite a drought. Actually, we had a 108-year drought between World Series wins. And so this was like a big deal in the Chicagoland area that we were all rooting that we would beat the Marlins and we would go to the World Series and there could be hope and, and such. So we went down to Wrigleyville, Sean and I and this camera crew. I mean, we had this whole crew of people with cameras and stuff. And we set up right on North Clark Street. If you know anything about where Chicago and Wrigley is, literally right in front of the stadium. We set up on North Clark Street and it was game seven. Now the infamous Bartman game happened the night before. And if you know anything about baseball, you know about the Bartman game. And I mean, so Chicago was a little bit kind of in the funk, and, and, and yet it was game seven. All we had to do was win game seven, we're going to the World Series. And we for sure were going to win. You know, all of the, 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 the experts were saying the Cubs have this. I mean, so we set up, and we set up like the cameras and everything, and I was going to do this kind of like cool sermon illustration about, about how to celebrate as a team. That when you do things as a team, you come together as a team, you win victories as a team. It was going to be this really cool moment. I knew the, the youth were going to love it. And so we were set up, ready to go. Well, the worst thing in the world happened, and that is this. The Marlins beat the Cubs in Game 7, which means that the Cubs were eliminated and were not going to the World Series. And literally, I'm standing outside of Wrigley as 41,000 people emptied out of the stadium silent. Like it was like a funeral. No joke. And here I am. I'm supposed to be like, we celebrate together as a team. And instead people are walking out and they're depressed and some people are cussing and everybody's angry and sad and heartbroken, including me. And so I ad-libbed something real quickly. I was like, you know, sometimes when all hope is lost, you can come together as a team. You know, it, it was a terrible video. I'm going to tell you, it just... The whole, the whole like game ruined everything. But, but you know what made me think about that this week is it made me think about this. This is the point. When you are seemingly losing at life, it's hard to have hope. I mean, if you're seemingly losing, like it feels like nothing's going your way or your year hasn't gone your way or things have happened that are very disheartening, even heartbreaking. It's hard to have hope. And hope is something that we need because hope literally gets us up in the morning. Without hope, we don't have purpose or motivation or desire or passion. And so many times, life feels like that day that the Cubs lost. Life feels very disappointing and hope seems to be fleeting. But yet, this is what I know. You and I need hope for life much bigger than a World Series or a game. We need hope for life. And so this month, we're celebrating the most celebrated holiday on the face of the earth, and that is Christmas. In fact, most other holidays are celebrated for one day. We celebrate for a whole month. Some of you that put up your tree in September, you celebrate for months on end, right? So Christmas is a big deal. And here's the reason why we celebrate it. It's because Jesus came. He is our rescuer. But also, we know the whole story. We got the book. 
Like we know, we know what happens. You know, Mary gets pregnant and then they go to Bethlehem. They, they don't find a place to stay. And so they're in a stable and then they give birth, you know, she gives birth to Jesus and, 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 you know, everything is great. Like we, we, we know the end of the story, but I want us today, once again, imagine ourselves in the story. Imagine ourselves one of the original characters, not knowing the end of the story, but just being in the story and experiencing it for the very first time. I started this last week as I talked about interrupted by hope. And this week, I want to talk about that we are anchored in hope. And today, I have good news for you that's going to bring great joy for all of you. Because this is the thing. They didn't know the end of the story. They were in the middle of the story, but they held on to a promise of hope. And in the same way, we don't know the end of our story, but we know this so we can hold, up, hold on to a promise of hope. The, 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 you know, Christmas story starts in, in Luke chapter one and, and, uh, God has been silent for 400 years. I, I want you to hear, hear that for literally 400 years. We don't have one recorded event where God speaks either through a supernatural means or through a person for 400 years, longer than America has been in existence for 400 years. If you, uh, you know, geek out on theology, this is called the intertestamental period. It's the period between testaments, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. All the prophets have died, and no one has heard from God for 400 years until Jesus is born. And, and so this is when the Pharisees were invented. Like we hear about the Pharisees in the New Testament. We don't know about them in the Old Testament. During this 400 years is when they were invented because people are trying to invent ways to connect with God and how to still keep the Ten Commandments and do all those things. Well, on top of that, there's this evil empire called the Roman Empire that had taken over the Holy Land and God's people and were ruling with an authoritative kind of fist. And uh, yet the Romans allowed the Jewish people to still self-govern a little bit and also to have religious freedom a little bit. And so the Jewish faith their, their, their like main place of worship was a temple in Jerusalem. And so this was a big deal. If you were a Jewish individual, the, the temple meant a lot. And there were, uh, in the New Testament around Luke chapter one, there were 20,000 priests in the Holy Land, 20,000 priests. Now, all of them cannot serve at the temple at the same time. So what they were doing is they're taking shifts. And so they would go on like two-week shifts where there would be a bunch of priests that would leave their home wherever that town was, and they'd come to Jerusalem, they'd serve in the temple. Well, there was a priest by the name of Zechariah. And Zechariah was on his shift, you could say. And he had a wife by the name of Elizabeth. And they're God-fearing people, but Zechariah and Elizabeth had one area of their life that was really heartbreaking, and that is this. They could not have a child. In fact, the, Elizabeth could not conceive. There was, there was not a way that they, they, had a, they could have a kid. They tried multiple times. And one day, Zechariah is in the temple on his shift, and an angel appears to him and says, Zechariah, Elizabeth is going to get pregnant, and you're going to have a son. His name is going to be John. This ends up being John the Baptist, all right? Many of you have heard of him before. And so here is this moment. Now listen, for the first time in 400 years, God speaks. And he speaks to Zechariah and says, Elizabeth is going to become pregnant. First instance in 400 years that we know of, at least, that God speaks. Well, Zechariah kind of laughs at it and says, 
do you know how old we are? Because they are old, all right? They're well past their years of reproduction. And yet, he kind of scoffs at it. And this is what's interesting. He's a pastor. He knows the story of a father of the faith named Abraham who is told that he would have a son, him and Sarah, at the age of 100. And so even though Zechariah knows the story, he does not see it as applicable to him. God can do a miracle in Abraham's life, but not in his life. Isn't it interesting that so many times we think that God will answer other people's prayers, but not ours? Is that true? It seems like this is where Zachariah is at. And so because he doubted, the angel looked at him and said, you're not going to be able to speak until your baby is born. It was kind of a consequence, you could say, for not having faith. And so outside of the temple, there's all these people gathering and they're waiting to have their church service. They're waiting for the pastor to come out and to lead it. And so they're waiting for Zachariah. Zachariah comes out, he can't talk. So he's making hand motions about an angel and that he's going to have a baby. And he's trying to communicate to them that he just had this supernatural experience and yet he can't communicate it to them. And the people are confused as to what he's trying to say. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like words cannot express what you're really going through in life? And no matter how much you try to communicate, those around you cannot comprehend what you've been through, or what you're currently facing. You ever felt that way before? Maybe in 2020, maybe you're facing some things right now, or you've experienced some things. You even try to tell your friends, you try to communicate it, and it just, words fall short. The confusion, the pain, the hurt, the the whatever falls short because you really can't communicate until they actually walk in your shoes. They don't understand the stress. They don't understand what you've been through. You ever felt that way? Well, Zachariah felt that way also. And in moments like that, it's hard to have hope. About six months into Zachariah's wife's pregnancy, Elizabeth's pregnancy, all of a sudden another angel appears by the name of Gabriel to a little peasant girl in another town by the name of Mary. She's somewhere between the ages of 12 and probably 15 years old. By the time she gave birth to Jesus, she was probably 13 to 16, somewhere in there. She's a young girl, and all of a sudden, this angel appears and says, you're going to miraculously be pregnant. You're going to still be a virgin. You're going to give birth to Messiah. Like, he's going to save not only Israel, but the world. This is the second time, second time in 400 years that God has spoken, both to individuals who are barren. Think about that. Both to individuals that... That, cannot, that, that do not have a, a baby inside, but now all of a sudden they are pregnant. I mean, think about this. Think about that God is speaking loudly to these two families, you could say. And, you know, Mary was engaged to Joseph, and they're going to get married. And at that age, it's very young. I mean, we look at that 12 to 14. Some of you, you know, you have daughters that age, and you're like, oh, I can't imagine 12, 14, 15 years old, whatever. I mean, it, it just seems too young. Back then, it was pretty normal because you only lived to be about 40 years old. So by the time, if you were a woman in Jesus's day, by the time you hit 18 or 19, if you're not married, you're, you're old and there should be concern. You know, we can't relate to this because nowadays we, we don't look at life that way. We, most people get married in their twenties or late twenties even, but Mary was poor and she's from this little town called Nazareth and, 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 and God chose her, God chose her and she 
She believed that God knew exactly what he was doing, you could say. She didn't complain about it like Zechariah did or, 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 or laugh at it, but rather she submitted her life to his will. And like we talked about last week, being pregnant outside of wedlock was dangerous, literally, physically dangerous. If you didn't listen to last week's message, go back and listen to it. It'll give you context. But, you know, most likely if you got, got pregnant out of wedlock, probably the man that you are engaged to or any man is not going to marry you. And, and, and here's the thing, that women who were not married in Jesus's day didn't have very uh, much hope for their future. In fact, uh, if they were rejected by their families and their friends, that there weren't very many professions that they could actually do to be able to stay alive. They probably just resort to begging and some other things. So here's Mary, and she's in this really big quandary. So I have a question. Have you ever felt like you're ill-equipped or you're too weak to handle circumstances in your life? You ever felt like you've faced some mountains, some situations that you're like, this is bigger than me? Jen and I felt that about nine plus years ago when our youngest son was born. He was born with special needs. And I remember both Jen and I looking at each other and saying, we don't know what we're doing. Like we're not prepared for this. We're ill-equipped. We feel too weak. All of us have experienced those things. It might be in your job, your family, your health, your finances. I don't know, but you're, you're experiencing something that's bigger than you. And you're like, I'm not sure how I'm going to navigate this. If you've ever felt that before, so did Mary. So did Mary. And in moments like that, it's very hard to have hope. But Mary had faith. Faith that God had her, was going to take care of her. And she hadn't talked to Joseph yet, and, and yet she's still in the presence of this angel getting this life-changing announcement, and this is what her response is. And, oh, may we have the faith of a 13-year-old girl. This is what she says. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. In other words, I believe I am blessed and highly favored, and I believe that God is going to take care of me, even though my circumstances seem rather daunting. Mary was holding on to hope. And we see in Luke chapter 1 that Mary decides to leave her town and go to another town, and she stays with her cousin. Her cousin's name was Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah the priest. So now there's these two women living together in this home. Both are miraculously pregnant. Both have been told from heaven that God's hand is on their life the first time in 400 years. And now they're together under one roof and it's Zechariah and Elizabeth and it's Mary. And basically she lives there. Mary lives there for the next three months until John the Baptist is born. And at that point, after she has a baby bump, she goes back home and she tells Joseph, we presume at this point, that she's pregnant. Now there's three stages in Jewish culture of marriage. The first stage is this, is the family agrees upon the union. So in other words, these are arranged marriages, all right? Back in Jesus' day, the families got together and said, Joseph is going to marry Mary, all right? They prearrange it, and so that's the first stage. And then the second step is a public announcement. And evidently, Mary and Joseph have already made this public announcement, and that's called the engagement. And then the third stage is marriage. 
where they actually have a ceremony, and from that point on, they're officially married. Now, this is what's different about us as Americans compared to what was happening in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, and that is that once a public announcement of the engagement was made, that the only way to break up the engagement is one party had to die or they had to get divorced. So literally, you were, almost, you were locked once the announcement of the engagement took place. And the only way out is death or divorce. So once Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant, he doesn't believe her, we find out in Matthew chapter 1. And do you blame him? Mary comes along. I haven't, you know, been intimate with anybody. I know you're seeing this little baby bump going on here. This is God. An angel visited me. I just spent three months with my cousin. Guess what? God miraculously made her pregnant too. Isn't this amazing, Joe? And at that point, Joe's like, what? No, this isn't amazing. And I don't believe you. I don't believe you at all. In fact, I have a question. Do you ever feel like the people closest to you sometimes, sometimes don't make your life much easier? The people that are close to you, they don't make your life easier. In, in fact, sometimes they invite drama into your life. Their drama becomes your drama. Some of you experience this at Thanksgiving. Hello, right? I mean, right? I mean, it's like whatever is going on in their life now has become a part of your life and it's not something you signed up for. You didn't, you didn't say, oh, I want this, this, this hardship. I, didn't, I, I want this drama. I, I, I'm so excited to navigate the next few days, weeks, or months now that this has been invited into my life. You know, Joseph felt that way. He didn't sign up for this. The angel first didn't talk to him. And all of a sudden, he's going to have to deal with all of the drama. And sometimes that happens. It's very hard to have hope when all of a sudden someone else close to you, a family member, a friend, a coworker, a fellow student, has invited their drama into your life. And now all of a sudden, you're carrying it. It's hard to have hope. So Joseph had two choices. He could divorce Mary or he could have her killed. Literally, we talked about that last week. So an angel appeared to Joseph and said, hey, Joseph, Mary's telling the truth. And at that point, Joseph said, okay, I'm going to continue forward with the plan to marry Mary. And at this point, they immediately became social outcasts. It was not easy for them because Mary, again, is pregnant out of wedlock. They're poor. Uh, they're being called liars, most likely. Most likely, they are being rejected by family and friends. But guess what? They had a hope that they were hanging on to. Sometimes you have to respond to life out of obedience, not out of understanding. This is huge. Because even some of you have experienced this this year in 2020. You've responded to 2020 out of obedience, not out of understanding. How many times in life? Do you have to respond to God out of obedience? And you have to go through the stormy waters out of obedience, not out of understanding. In fact, this is what I know. Someday we'll understand. Right now we don't and we must obey. So they chose to obey and believe God that God knew exactly what he was doing. And so Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He's laid in a manger. This is not an ideal environment for a king, right? 
Well, the ruler or the governor of that area of the country, his name was Herod. And Herod, through the grapevine, had heard that a king, quote-unquote king, was born in Bethlehem, and he became very insecure and saw that as a threat. And so this is what he did. He put out an edict in the land that every boy under the age of two had to be killed in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas. I want you to think about this. Think about if the governor of Illinois or the governor of Florida or the governor wherever you're watching right now got threatened and said there is a law, a policy, every male under the age of two is to be immediately murdered, immediately killed. I mean, think about that. See, we know the rest of the Christmas story. We're like, oh, what a great story. And it is a great story. But when you're living in it, this is not a great chapter of the story, you could say. In fact, Jesus, Mary, and, and, and Joseph, they had to escape to Egypt to save their lives, literally to save Jesus' life. Mary and Joseph, who are already like at the end of their rope, they're like, let's go to another country for asylum, literally. Let me have a question for you. Do you ever feel like in life things go from bad to worse? <laughs> like I've been there. Maybe not at the degree of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, but I've been there where things go from bad to worse. You're doing all the right stuff. Like you're obeying, you're, you're doing everything you can, but the circumstances keep getting worse and worse and worse, harder, harder, harder. And you're like, God, I'm doing everything I can. I'm standing on the word of God. I'm believing for the healing. And yet my health is getting worse. I, I, I'm tithing. I'm giving. I'm being generous. And yet my finances are getting worse. You know, I'm believing that, that my son or my daughter, who's a prodigal son or daughter, will come back to faith. But yet the more I pray and the more I'm trying to be Christ-like to them, the further they push themselves away from us. It's getting worse. See, we've been there before. And if you ever felt that way, so did Joseph and Mary. It's very hard to keep a handle on hope when things go from bad to worse. So Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they flee to Egypt and they didn't know things were gonna be okay. Like we know the, uh, the rest of the story. We, we've read the book, but they were hanging on to a promise hanging on to a word from God. Some of you, I'm telling you, you've been hanging on to that word from God for all of 2020, and it doesn't seem like anything good is happening. I challenge you, hang on to that word. Hang on to the word of the Lord. Hang on to that promise, realizing that God is faithful, that he has not forgotten you. See, we have the rest of the book. We know the end of the Christmas story. We're introduced to the tension, the stress, but then we see the, the resolution. But life isn't that way. Like, we don't know what's next for you and I, right? In fact, I'd say this. Right now, you and I don't know the end of our story, do we? In fact, you and I don't know the end of the story because everything feels like a dead end. Like, the divorce feels like a dead end. The pain feels like a dead end. The financial situation, the depression, whatever it is, whatever you've encountered, the downturn, the, the anger, whatever, it feels like a dead end. Wouldn't it be nice to know the rest of the story right now, like as you're in it? Wouldn't it be great 
to know how it ends so that it could give you hope. But that's not how hope works. Hope reaches into the future and believes that God's word is true. So how do you have hope in the middle of the storm? Well, do you know one of the earliest symbols of Christianity was not a cross. Like now we have crosses, right? We have crosses on our steeples and on our churches and around our necks and tattooed to, you know, our, our arm or whatever. We have, we have crosses that are kind of the symbol of Christianity, but that's not the way it was back in the early days. You know, one of the earliest symbols of Christianity was an anchor, like on a boat, an anchor. Like some of the archeologists have found first century Christians that had anchors on their tombs in catacombs. Like it was an anchor, it wasn't a cross. And here's the reason why. Because in Hebrews, which is a book in the New Testament, chapter six, verse 19, it says this, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. That hope is like an anchor, but it doesn't anchor us to what we're in, it anchors us to what is in our future. That's huge. You see, when I say have hope, I'm not saying that you drop the anchor in the midst of the pain and just sit there. No, no, no. It anchors you to what's in your future. It is a hope that is an anchor. Do you know one of the most dangerous places a boat can be in Cape? You know this if you're, you're down there and you're into boating, you know this. That guess what? The most dangerous place for a boat to be in a heavy storm is in a harbor. And here's the reason why, because the winds and the waves can damage the boats as they crash up against the rocks or other boats. Rather, the safest place, and this is counterintuitive, the sa safest place for a boat during a heavy storm is out in the open sea, where they're anchored in the open sea, not in the harbor. We think safety's in the harbor next to something that's fixed. So what do we do in life? As our boat is being tossed and turned by the waves, we go into a safe place and we anchor down and we anchor to things like money and we anchor to things like material goods. We anchor to other people or to what we perceive to be stable circumstances. We anchor to something like that, but this is the thing. That's not what brings us hope. Instead, we must do an old nautical term here. You ready? Kedging, kedging. This is what kedging is is that when you are in a smaller boat and you take the rope or the chain that has the anchor and you cast it out and then you pull yourself to where the anchor landed and you pull it up and you cast it out and you pull yourself. And I will tell you that right there is a picture of how us as Christ followers must live that we, listen, we cast our thoughts forward into the promises of God. And then we pull ourselves by faith. We keep our soul focused on the future, not on the present, on the promise, not on the problem. And so what we do is we cast our anchor of hope out into God's promises, into his word, and we pull ourselves towards his word, towards his desired future. This is hard to do in the middle of a storm but actually it's the safest thing to do rather than to be moored and anchored next to something that is going to dash you against the rocks 
what we think is going to give us hope, but rather instead we must catch. We must practice catching spiritually, casting our thoughts into the promises of God, into the future. I don't know what you're going through right now, but listen, this is what I do know. God holds the future and he has promises for your now and you must focus on where you're going, not where you're at or where you've been. Not on the problem, but instead on the promise. We have to do this because Jesus is with us the whole way. But we must cast our thoughts, cast our hopes like an anchor ahead so I want to pray for you. Some of you are like, I need prayer for that right now because I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you just, it's just kind of been a weird season and you're just kind of tired or whatever. Let's be people who take our hope and we anchor it out ahead to where God is bringing us, not to where we're at. Let's have anchor as a hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that God, you would help us to have hope as an anchor, firm and secure for our soul. Not tied up to something that eventually the waves will crash us up against, but rather instead, full of faith, going into deeper waters. I even think of that verse that says, as deep calls unto deep. In other words, the depth of our faith calls out to the depth of the resource of our God. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to cast our thoughts, our hopes, our dreams into your word and into your promises. And with your strength to pull our lives towards the promises of God. Thank you, Jesus. That now with every head bowed and eye closed, and if you say, I I need to give my life to Jesus. I want to make him the leader and the forgiver of my life. I want him to be what the Bible says is Lord and Savior. In other words, our hope is anchored not in a thing or a circumstance. It's anchored into a person, the person of Jesus Christ, who came to our rescue on Christmas Day to someday walk to a cross to die for our sin. And if you say, that's me, I'm... I want to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of my life. I want to ask for forgiveness of all that I've done wrong, and I want him to be the leader of my life. If that's you, just, just go ahead, every head bowed and every eye closed. Just raise your hand right now at every, every location. Anybody? Yes. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. Let me pray with you. Just repeat this prayer after me. Why don't we all say this prayer so no one feels left out? Dear Jesus, I come to you today, and you are my hope. Forgive me of all my sin, come into my life and be the leader. Thank you for your unconditional love. In Jesus' name, amen.